1: With Sean Mandel.
2: So we've been talking a lot about on this podcast how the monarchy and how King Charles III's coronation fit into the modern world and what it means to be a modern monarch, to have a modern monarchy. What does that look like? I think something that people may forget about if you're not uh, living in the UK, or if you're not living in one of the Commonwealth countries, if you're an American, is that this is also this ceremony, the coronation, is inherently religious, because King Charles, upon becoming the king, is also the head of the Church of England. He is defender of the faith. So it's an interesting combination of roles, because in the UK, church and state are intertwined. Yeah,
0: there's a very bloody history to how uh, the Church of England began. Starts uh, with an back- affair. <laughs> yes, like as all great stories do. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know that dates back to Henry the Eighth, and uh, since then, you know, it seems like a lot of the uh, tensions have been worked out, and um, the Church of England and the British monarchy have existed or co-evolved. But the coronation that we are going to witness in just a few weeks has so many religious roots and symbols and rituals that are just tied into all of that.
2: Exactly. And I think we need to ask some questions about how a monarchy that is tied to a specific faith, a Christian faith, exists in a world where that monarch reigns over a country that is made of a lot of people who uh, worship many uh, different ways, who have many different faiths, and people who don't have a religious faith at all. Charles is making history here as a divorcee, because let's remember, he divorced Diana, princess of Wales, and is now married to another divorcee, and is the head of a church that once. Viewed, uh, you know, divorce as a sin, as something that you do not do. And yet, Mm -hmm. that a person who is divorced is now at the head of that. So, we want to talk about all of this with a very special guest, Catherine Pepinster, who is a historian and author. She has a great new book out. It's called Defenders of the Faith, the British Monarchy, Religion, and the Coronation. Couldn't think of a better person to discuss this with. So, without further ado, Let's spill the royal tea. This is Spilling Royal Tea, a podcast that follows the piping hot stories of the British royal family, from London to Montecito, all the way to the upcoming coronation of King Charles. I'm Sean Mandel, a producer, pop culture devotee, and part-time royal correspondent.
0: And I'm Maggie Van Dorn, the show's producer, Sean's biggest fan, and his occasional sidekick.
2: In each episode, we will spill the tea,
0: That's American for gossip.
2: On the latest stories about the heir, the spare, and their kin. Tea will be served with some cultural context and history from across the pond that you can't go without. So without further ado, let's spill the royal tea. Okay, Maggie, before we get into this interview with Catherine, we'd be remiss if we don't get through some royal headlines.
0: Yeah, we got some breaking news just as we were recording this podcast.
2: Just as we were recording this. uh, Thank you to producer Wilde who flagged this to us while we were deep in the weeds of our own conversation and notes. Uh, So King Charles and now just Queen Camilla, they have released uh, an official portrait um, and the coronation invite that has been sent out.
0: Yeah. And this coronation invite, it looks like something out of the medieval times, which is appropriate given that the coronation itself has medieval roots.
2: It really does. Um, (laughs) And yeah, the the coronation. I'm not gonna lie. This is may sound very silly, but the invite's really, you know, it's really fun. It's kind it of looks a, like
0: a storybook. Yeah, actually.
2: it's very like, um, you know, if you watch Disney like Sleeping Beauty or whatever, that giant book in the beginning, and you open it, and it's this medieval manuscript with all these sort of floral um, flourishes on it. It's uh, I don't know. It's not what yeah. I expected. So good for them. Good for them for whoever the graphic designer is. You know, <laughs> they get a raise. Um, a few other things to talk about, just really quickly, some headlines. Uh, Joe Biden, the U.S. president, will not be attending the coronation, according to reports. This has not been officially confirmed by the White House, but uh, it's not entirely surprising, even though it is mm. getting, you know, causing some consternation and conversations in the U.K. particularly. Sean,
0: why is it not surprising?
2: It's not surprising because no American president has ever attended the coronation of a British monarch. Which Mm. makes sense, given the fact that, you know, the U.S. was founded on the idea of rejecting the monarch. Uh,
0: Yeah. Separation of church and state. We're pretty serious about that.
2: Which is exactly the opposite of what they do in the U.K. So it seems that uh, First Lady Jill Biden is going to be attending uh, as a sort of representative of the United States. So you still get a good person. Still get a top-notch A-list invite.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, what else has been going on in the world?
2: So Meghan Markle has won her defamation lawsuit filed by her sister, Samantha Markle. The case has been dismissed. The uh, you know, defamation lawsuit all stems from Megan's interview with Oprah and Samantha saying that the comments that Megan made about her defamed her her reputation or, you know, uh, it put her in a negative and inaccurate. Uh,
0: and the judge like, just tossed this, just right? Tossed I mean, it. just said totally rejected it. Totally
2: rejected it. Div did give Samantha the sort of option, or you know, made made way for her to refile the lawsuit, which of course she probably will do. Um, but for some more details on that, go to TMZ.com, where you can read all about it. Uh, I have personally talked to Samantha Markle in the past many times um i listen i'm just gonna say that it does not surprise me that this lawsuit was tossed out but now we are going to get into our conversation with Catherine pepinster the author of that wonderful book defenders of the faith to talk about the coronation religion and what that means for a modern monarchy but first we're going to take a quick ad break Catherine, welcome to Spilling Royal Tea.
0: Thank you very
1: much, I'm very pleased to be here.
2: Uh, So we definitely would like to first dive into your work. Um, You've written a marvelous book, Defenders of the Faith, perfectly timed by the way, you know, with uh, King Charles's coronation coming up. And the subject that we really, you know, want to start off talking with you and cover the most is the way in which the monarchy and religion, the Church of England, faith are intertwined inexorably. They are almost, you know, one in the same, I think you could say. And I think that that's very interesting and different for our American listeners who may not realize that, that Charles is the now head of the Church of England, and that church and state are one, whereas uh, in the. US it is it, one of our founding principles is that they not be one, uh, not be one together. So I was curious, you know how have you uh, seen this sort of interplay of church and state uh, be discussed and um, how have you been uh, observing it there in the UK?
1: Of course, we're very used to it in the UK because it's it's something which is 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 very, evident to us, not just at the time of the coronation, although it will be much more obvious at the time of the coronation. So in uh, in Britain, um, we have what we call an established church, which is the Church of England. um, That takes us all the way back through our history to Henry VIII. And uh, when he split away from Uh, or split England away from the Roman Catholic Church, uh, wanting to set up his own church because uh, the the Catholic Church, the Pope at that time, would not agree that he could um, divorce his first wife, Catherine Varrigan, in order to marry Anne Boleyn. So you could say that this whole uh, raison d'etre for this church is all tied up with a king's love life, if you want, (laughs) which is quite extraordinary. So... You know we're, we're kind of aware of of the link between the monarch and the Church of England, but it but it's it's not just a link. I mean, our monarch has an actual title, uh, uh, which is Supreme Governor of the Church of England. Um, uh, Henry VIII, when he created the Church of England, called himself Supreme Head mm. uh, of the Church of England. Then there's another title that our monarchs have, uh, which is. Defender of the faith. Now that's an interesting
2: um, one because it has mm. some some context behind it, right? You mentioned Henry VIII, and yes. it, it, it's a little bit uh, interesting, right? Like how that 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 title but, is being used for the Church of England when its history is not necessarily, you know, doesn't begin with the Church of England.
1: Well, it's quite extraordinary, really, that Henry was given that title uh, by a grateful Pope uh, to. Uh, reward him and acknowledge that he had written um a, a defense of the catholic church uh in the face of the criticism of martin luther it was a rebuttal of martin luther uh and and uh and so they, they they at that time henry was the pope's hero uh just a few years later there was this huge bust up but henry was was you know, really gonna hang on to that title he, t- he he wasn't going to give it up so he maintained that title our uh, um our monarchs have had it ever since and they viewed it so as so important that if you look at coins in our UK currency look at the 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 side that has the effigy of the monarch uh it says has various acronyms around the edge. And, what, and they're in Latin, the acronyms. And one of them is FD, which stands for the Defender of the Faith. So they, they think it's so important. They put it on their
2: coins. How far back does the coronation ceremony go, the history of it?
1: Way, way back. Um, there are records of a coronation of King Edgar that took place in 973. Wow. So, you know, more than a thousand years. And that wasn't the first one, but that's the one where there are records And there are some things that that stay the same. So there's a reading from the first book of Kings, um, which says, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anointed Solomon king and all the people rejoiced. And that reading has been in all our coronations. And then in uh, when George II was going to have his coronation, he commissioned Handel to put those words to music. Uh, and that piece of music has been sung at every coronation since. So it has this tremendous history. And again, if you look back to, the, to what happened in those coronations, um, communion service, uh, taking oaths, pledging of the monarch's life, anointing and crowning, those are the ingredients all the way through way way back. so it's an incredibly ancient ceremony and um, so it's an incredible history but the the actual the actual Crown jewels, the coronation mm. regalia, um isn't so old because um we, we at one time uh, Britain was a republic we had a civil war and uh, King Charles I was beheaded and the republicans who ran the country for a short time melted down the crown jewels mm. so when charles ii uh came back was restored as the new king he had
2: need a new bling uh,
1: new, he had new bling and that will, that would will be the bling that's used
2: it's um you know you also mentioned the fact that the church of england you know has a different role today you know than it did in, in the time of you know henry's period in the sense that you know the majority or not the majority but much of the uk is not just you know citizens subjects are not just part of the church of england they're people of you know many different faiths um and, and i was wondering sort of you know how the church today and how the the sovereign as head of the church of england sort of reconciles that official state you know religion if you will with uh, the fact that it is a nation, it is, you know, like in many ways, like the United States is today, a patchwork of different um, faiths and people of uh, of different backgrounds.
1: Absolutely, yes. And of course, it's also the Church of England, but the United Kingdom is made up of not Scotland, just England. Northern Ireland, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales. Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, yes. Um, well, it, it, it's an issue that our new king, Charles III, has been very aware of. And uh, some years ago, in 1994, uh, he said in an interview that he felt that he should uh, play a, a role um, defending not just uh, the faith of, of those who belong to the Church of England, but other, others too. Faith. And he, yes. And he said he would like to be known as defender of faith. Mm. And that, that caused quite a row. 30 odd years ago. However, a few days um, uh, after his mother died, he held a reception at Buckingham Palace for um, Christian leaders and leaders of other faiths, too, where he gave a short speech in which he said that he he felt he had a significant role to play regarding faiths. And he said, You know, I am. uh, now um, mm. I have this role within the Church of England. He meant Supreme Governor, but he said, "I I believe it's my duty to be a protector of faith." Mm. So he's so he's using the term protector now. He sees himself as being a an advocate or a champion of 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 people's. Religious beliefs.
2: A lot of the questions that we talk about, you know, on this podcast, and I think people talk about with the monarchy in general, is how does a monarchy exist in the 21st century? Not just in the 21st century, but in the year 2023, right? You know, it's not 2003; it's 2023, and a lot has certainly changed over, you know, those 20, 30 some years. You know, you mentioned that sort of uh, remark they made in the 90s, controversial then, now considered to be essential, right, to the. I think a lot of people would say essential to uh, the monarchy. continuing the fact that he's sort of taken on that a different uh, POV about it, right? Um, I'm curious, you know, Charles being the sort of modern, trying to be the modern monarch that he is, and, you know, with the role of the Church of England and being connected to faith, obviously, you know, his divorce from Diana, Princess of Wales, and divorce in general in the royal family has been the a, a main source of contention right. for the last 70 years. I wonder what you make of the fact that, you know, today we do have, there is a monarch in the UK who is divorced and is married to another divorcee. And that, you know, person, uh, Camilla, is, you know, queen consort, uh, something that would have been inconceivable even 20, 30 years ago.
1: Well, it, it, even more recently than that, I mean, Diana died, what, 25 years ago? And I think then people just would not have believed that what's going to happen on May the 6th, that Camilla will be crowned queen, could happen. It, it's, it's taken a lot of patient, what could I call it, almost kind of manoeuvring on the part of Charles III and his advisors to get to this point. A lot, a lot of things have happened I mean the, the the church the Church of England has has changed itself um when uh Charles married Camilla 2005 they 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 had started to to, to accept that a divorcee could could marry uh again in in the Church of England of course Charles actually wasn't by then a divorcee when he remarried, was he? He was actually a widower, you could say, because his wife had died. Um, But Camilla was 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 divorced too, Um, and and they were they weren't allowed a full marriage in the Church of England. They had civil ceremony, right? Civil ceremony, and then they had a blessing in Saint George's Chapel, which uh, people listening to this podcast might remember from when Queen Elizabeth died. And after her funeral, there was a committal service, and that was in Saint George's Chapel.
2: It's also where Megan and Harry got married.
1: Yeah, I was just going to mention that. That's also also where Megan and Harry got married. Well, if you think that Megan was also a divorcee, mm-hmm. and she had a full church wedding when she married Harry, and you know the the Church of England has sort of moved a bit and has become more tolerant. I mean, one thing one thing I should I should say uh, I think is that as well as the UK being a place that's now very diverse, Mm. in terms of uh, religious beliefs. It's there are also a lot of people uh, in this country who are pretty secular, they don't have religious beliefs, right? And so that that's, um, that's an issue for the people planning this coronation, people aren't as Kind of uh, literate as they might once have been about Christianity, so some people might find this this coronation service um, quite mystifying, and and it's going to be down to people like me and other journalists to help people make sense of you know, what's going on?
2: I think you rightly mentioned that the, some of these religious, these sacred ancient traditions are going to seem not only mystifying, but I want, you know, there is this conversation about, uh, mentioned a little bit earlier, the modern monarchy, and how do you make it, uh, you know, Charles has talked about a slim down monarchy, and how do you make it less ostentatious, but also still balance that w- because of the concerns about privilege, you know, right? And how do you balance that with the fact that this is all also, you know, part of the interest and love of the royal family is the pomp, is the sort of, you know, uh, again, this uh, mystery uh, behind it all. And it's always
1: a balancing act, I think, with with um, the monarchy is to what extent does it need to be more accessible mm. or to what extent does it really require some mystique to be retained? For it, for it to seem special and therefore worth having. Right. Um, and, and you can see these tensions in the things that have been said in the run-up to the coronation. So sometimes we're being told, uh, oh, the king and the government, they're very aware that there's a cost of living crisis and having something that's too fancy, won't go down well and wouldn't would be insensitive and then there's and then another time they're saying oh this is going to be a great moment for the uk it's going to be able to showcase itself it needs to show it can still put on a great a great show the eyes of the world will be on us so we need to have you know this this great occasion so um they're trying to to be sensitive to both issues i think
2: so yeah let's on that subject can you just give some context to our you know to our listeners about like what the actual coronation is
1: So i think for most people if you say coronation they think drowning but uh and that's the most visual mm. thing that's the great spectacle but there are three things that happen uh during a coronation one is is uh, the taking of oaths so the king um promises to kind of uphold government also promises to uphold the Protestant religion and to serve God and serve the people says so that uh, then there's the anointing um which is a very sacred moment and which is um uh, when um the monarch is is blessed and um uh, the grace of God is bestowed upon him.
2: And this is by the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury? Is that? Who? Yeah, who's yes. the
1: leading Anglican, leading Church of England cleric. And and then there's the crowning, also done by the Archbishop of Canterbury. And then uh, there's also a communion service going on. So all there are all those components. And then on top of that, um, you need to, the listeners need to remember that in 1953, it was just Queen Elizabeth um, who was anointed and crowned and her husband, Pr- Prince Philip, uh, pledged to serve her, but he wasn't uh, crowned and he wasn't anointed because when we have what they call a, a regnant queen, the the reigning monarch is female, her husband is not a king. When there's a a reigning king, he has a wife who is a queen consort, and the queen consort is anointed and crowned as well. So they've actually got to get more into this coronation than they did 70 years ago in 1953. So the idea that they can get all this into just an hour and and the king has had lots of new music commissioned. I I don't myself quite see how that's going to be possible, and it would come across as just the most tremendous rush. Uh, I think it's more likely to be an hour and a half, and 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 three hours uh, for Queen Elizabeth was short compared to previous coronations mm. that went on for, for um, five hours, even longer. Um, The diarist Samuel Pepys, um, who wrote about the coronation of uh, Charles II, he'd been inside the abbey for hours. And they still hadn't got the anointing, and he he decided to leave to take a comfort break, <laughs> so he missed. He well, you got to think about bathroom
2: moments. bathroom breaks too. I mean, even at three hours, that's you know, you go to see a movie nowadays. You go to see a Christopher Nolan movie. You gotta you know plan out your hydration so you don't have to leave in yeah. the middle of the yeah. movie.
1: And and they have had to take into consideration that Charles and Camilla are not you know they're not young people themselves. They're, mm. They're in their 70s, so, you know, they'll be wearing um, crowns that are heavy. And
2: Speaking of the robes, I, I want to talk about t- really quickly two elements of uh, the coronation that seem to be very modern or taking a modern, you know, uh, twist, if you will. One is the, you mentioned robes. Um, you know, there is uh, a conversation about the ermine that's used on some of these robes. And, you know, some robes, uh, members of, uh, th- so these robes that people, uh, you know, that the king wears and the queen wears, people listening may be familiar when you think of sort of the archetype of a king, which is this like red robe with this fur lining, which is ermine with like little black you know spots on it. Um, and this is, uh, ermine is an animal. That many people have felt is the way that the uh, the fur is made, uh, you know, I don't want to say harvested, but, you know, sort of uh Taken and made is very cruel. So there are some people who have advocated for uh, faux fur, um, faux ermine fur, and I believe that the. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe at one point the Queen started only wearing faux uh, er- ermine fur on, on her robes. And I'm, you know, I, I'm. Curi- you mean the
1: late, the late Queen. The
2: late Queen. Yes. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Queen Elizabeth II wore yeah. wore that, and I'll be curious to see if that's, you know, especially you know Charles as a sort of environmentalist, you know, uh, whether he'll have you know sort of that. Faux fur on his uh, robes. I,
1: th- I think they're going to be very careful about this kind of thing. There's incredible coronation regalia: a crown, an orb, um, something else they call a scepter, uh, and another thing they call a rod. And then, then the queen consort has her own regalia too, and one of hers, I, th- I can't remember now if it's the scepter or the rod, but it it has, uh, I think, some ivory in it. And uh, uh, Prince William is somebody who's been very um, uh, committed to uh, elephant conservation. So people are saying that he will find this anathema that you know mm. that something from iv- ivory is, me- is used, and and so she probably won't use that.
2: And I. Th- it's yeah, I've seen and I've seen reports about that as well. You know that sort of the uh, the attire suggested is going to be less formal, which is still very formal, and what I think a lot of Americans would think is very formal. It's just maybe not going to have these sort of uh, vestiges of you know uh, you know of, of monarchy and of uh, grandeur and aristocracy that maybe once would have been present.
1: Yes, I think I think that's the kind of area where we'll have some um some modernization going on will be there i'm sure there'll be more more guests um um who represent charities that the royal family's linked with rather than people there just you know because that the, their family owns half of
2: scotland right they're a duke um but, and, and vegan oil we're gonna have uh, it seems for the sacred blessing
1: that's that's right. So so the the oil the anointing oil has uh, always been made up of many um, different ingredients. Um, some of them are f- fragrances, um, and 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 some of the ingredients came from from animals, uh, and those aren't being used this time. Yeah, but the oil is, is it's. There's some uh, very poignant aspects to the oil because the main ingredient of the anointing oil is olive oil, mm. and and they've they've had it made this time using oil from olives um, from the Mount of Olives. Um, so that obviously has a connection with with Jesus. We know the stories from the from scripture from the Bible about um, the Mount of Olives. But also, um, it's where um, King Charles's grandmother is is buried. So, Princess Alice came from Princess Alice from where she's she's buried. Yeah.
2: Mm. Final question, unrelated maybe to uh, the question of religion, but obviously this is a, a ceremony that's going to be very well watched. Do you think Meghan and Harry are going to attend?
1: That's a really interesting one, isn't it? I I, I really I really wonder. Um, if I if I were cynical about it, <laughs> I would say that their their unique selling point it their links to to the British royal family, mm. and so they they need to kind of emphasise that, and emphasise that would mean being there. Right. But I they're not they're not that popular here in the UK, and and I I think there's a risk they might get booed.
2: Oh wow. When they enter and not, the I don't think inside
1: the church, but yeah. from the crowd outside, I think that there's that risk.
2: And does that um, overshadow the ceremony, right?
1: Yeah. Well if I again if I was cynical, I might say, well, maybe Meghan Megan would be pleased if she overshadows it. Mm. I think I think for Harry um it it it's probably a difficult occasion. And I think it would have been a difficult occasion, even if he hadn't moved away from the family in the way that he has. I think even if he was still within it, he he must surely mm. be thinking about his mother yeah. that day. And seeing you know, Camilla that, as queen, uh, seeing Camilla as queen, uh, Westminster Abbey was where his mother's funeral took place. Uh, I I th- I think it will. You know, it, it could well be a very painful moment for him, even if he was still you know, a, a working member of the royal family. So, yeah, uh, I think this would be a tough one for him.
2: Well, Catherine, thank you so much for all of this context and a wonderful perspective, uh, especially coming from across the pond. Really appreciate you taking the time to come on the pod.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Sean.
2: That was a great conversation. Uh, I think it's really, you know, I forget, so much of this podcast is me forgetting that, (laughs) you know, and it's not me putting myself on a platform, but it's just like that other people may not know certain things about the coronation. And I think it's really important to remind myself too about all the uh, different elements that make up this event and why it's a big deal. And Catherine, I think really grounded it for us uh, in understanding the religious aspect of yeah. you know uh, of this event.
0: Catherine is a venerable historian and author and editor, and she's written so much on the Church of England and definitely the nation and the monarchy, right? So, um, and she has this book out right now, Defenders of the Faith. And I think everyone, you know, if you're curious to hear more about, I don't know, like 600 plus years of history, like a thousand. uh, (laughs) Yeah, actually a thousand. So, nothing that we can really uh, cover in the span of a podcast, Um, you should check out her book. We'll be sure to link to it in the show notes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in again this week. And I know we say this every week, but if you are enjoying the podcast, please give us a five-star rating, make our day, say something nice about us, tweet.
0: Yeah, it can go a long way.
2: So if you are enjoying it, please share it. And we look forward to talking with y'all next week. Spilling Royal Tea is a production of the TMZ Audio Network. It's produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Wild Young is our in-studio producer. Make sure you never miss an episode and subscribe or follow Spilling Royal Tea on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, share it with a friend or someone you know who likes to spill the tea. You can also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing Spilling Royal Tea on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Sean Mandel. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk next week.